morning, everybody. So I don't know what you were doing in that <clears throat> epic year of 1997. It's a great year. Um, if you weren't alive yet, you missed out. Um, but in 1997, I was a, a senior in uh, high school, um, class 98, still the best. Um, <clears throat> but in that year, you know, it was just like, it was my senior year and it was such a fun time. And uh, so many great memories of that year. Uh, one of the worst memories of that year was my cross-country team. A number of the guys on the team convinced me to go with them to a fish concert. Um, if you don't know fish, that's okay. Uh, you're going to be just fine. But we went to a fish concert, and I, I knew them a little bit, but not really. But I just wanted to be part of the, the group that went. So we went to... Uh, McNichols Arena, which is the previous Pepsi Center, and the, the idea of a fish concert in an enclosed area is also a very bad idea. Um, I think I got a contact high from just all of the drugs in that arena. But the thing that I remember most about that concert, in, it was in November, I looked up this morning, I, could, I actually found the dates online for all their tour stops, and <clears throat> apparently it's a very famous tour for people who are fans of the band Fish, um, but it, was in, it, was, it had to be either November 16th or 17th in 1997 were the dates they were at McNichols, um, but on November 29th of that year, they were playing in Massachusetts, and they're famous at that concert for playing one song that lasted 59 minutes. Uh, amen. Wow. Um, now, some people think that's awesome. They did something similar at McNichols, and that's what I remember most from that concert. I remember sitting with my uh, fellow runner friends and sitting there, and people seemed to enjoy it, and I was like, does anybody else hate this as much as I do? Uh, and the song just kept going. It just kept going and going and going. Every time you could kind of feel like, okay, it's coming to an end, you know, some, some other lick comes in and they go off again. And I don't know how long they played their different songs, but I remember at the end of the night, you know, at the three and a half hour concert, I was like, I think they played four songs. <clears throat> Tonight, or this morning, what I want to talk to you about is, and I love that image, our readings today want to draw us into the idea of perfection. And in the ancient world, and still today, what we should see perfection as is a completeness. If something is going to be perfect, it has, it's a moment that that thing is complete. Now, in a minute, we're going to talk a little bit about that image in art. But think about a song. If a song, if it, if it goes on forever and ever, it becomes difficult to endure. There's a certain moment when a musician or an artist finishes and that work is complete. And by the way, it is no accident. Jesus on the cross, or his last word in Greek is tetelestai. It is finished. 
And today in, in Hebrews chapter 5, the author of the letter to the Hebrews tells us that Jesus was made perfect. The word for uh, on the cross is telos, which is an end, an end or a completeness. The word for perfection is teleos. It's almost the exact same word. So there's two points I want to make for you today. The first thing I want you to see, which is most important, is I want you to be in awe and wonder at the perfect work of redemption that God has accomplished in Christ. When you go to a museum or uh, you hear a, a piece of music other than fish, right, and you hear something and you just are amazed, you say, that was absolutely perfect. You and I need to have hearts that see what God has done in Christ, and we see the perfection. Today in our gospel, we're at, we're at the hinge point of John's gospel. John's gospel has this hinge at the end of chapter 12, moving into the beginning of chapter 13. Uh, and scholars have known this forever. This is the, the absolute turning point of Jesus' life. This is the hinge point of the Gospel of John. And what's happened is that Jesus, up to the end of chapter 12, he has gone all through Israel. He has fulfilled God's promises. He has shown God's faithfulness. He is healing the sick, right? He is curing the blind. He is preaching the Gospel. He's driving out demons. And up to the end of chapter 12, Jesus performs six signs, powerful signs that show who he is. But at the end of chapter 12, we didn't quite get to the end of 12 today, at the end of chapter 12, John tells us it didn't work. And then going in, and then the, the hinge point that we're at today, what happens is Jesus shifts from performing signs and all through chapter 12, it's been about that word sign. It's repeated over and over and over. And then in chapter 13, and here in 12 today, the language shifts to glory. And so today Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The other thing that you and I should hear, and I hope you know, you're studying the Gospels, the more that we study the life of Christ, we should hear things differently. In John's Gospel, another big theme is that Jesus, ten times previous to this, talks about an hour that is coming. The most obvious one that every one of you knows is from John chapter 2 at the wedding feast of Cana. Right, when Mary comes to Jesus and she says they're out of wine, right, Jesus says to her, he says, what is it to you and to me, woman? My hour has not come. And so one point I just want you to see from this right here is that Jesus knew that God had an hour and a plan for Jesus' life. And the plan that God had for him was that Jesus would surrender his life for the world. He expected it to come, 
He knew it would arrive, and he lived for that moment. He lived to give himself away. But ten times, Jesus says, that hour is on its way. It's coming. There's going to be this hour ordained by God. And here today in our gospel is the first time Jesus says, it's here. The time has arrived. And so, brothers and sisters, Jesus' life was not cut short prematurely. He had given himself continually to us. He had been obedient to the Father for his whole 33 years of life. But he knew that there was time to put an exclamation point on it. All of us should be amazed at that. And we should look at the work that God has done in the passion. And we, would say, and we should say and just be amazed and say, this is the ultimate moment of history where Jesus surrendered all things and he revealed what all of life is about. He made the perfect work of redemption on the cross. Amazing stuff. The second point I want to make with you today is about your life. I think one temptation that you have and that I have is to always say, well, let's tweak things here. Let's tweak things there. And it's to never definitively surrender ourselves. Our gospel, or I'm sorry, our second reading today in Hebrews, very short, but very powerful. So, uh, we talked about this before, but repetition is the mother of learning. So, in Hebrews chapter 5 here, whoever wrote that book makes an echo to a very common phrase in the ancient world. So, do you guys want your Greek word for the day? This means yes. This means no. The South Campus kids, if you have kids at South Campus, some of the kids at South Campus have started saying no. I'm like, do you want your Greek word of the day? And some of the kids are like, no. And I'm like, go to a different school. <laughs> we have the Greek word of the day here. Uh, so you get two words today. It's a great little catchphrase in the ancient world. So everybody say mothane. And then say pothane. So, and you can say it either way, mothane, pothane, or pothane, mothane. What it means in Greek is it means to suffer is to learn. To suffer is to learn. And I bet you already know that in your life. That uh, if you tell someone and you say, Here, here's some great advice you should follow, they might know it's true. But you and I, when we suffer hard things, we learn in a way that we don't otherwise. And so today in Hebrews 5, it says, in verse 8, it says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned mothane, obedience through what he suffered, pothane. Here's what I want to give you. This is a powerful image today from Michelangelo. So Michelangelo is one of his famous things, that an image he uses. is Michelangelo, when he talked about creating a statue, 
is he says, and I'm going to pull this book out, he says, oops, wrong spot, anti-mic drop. Okay, Michelangelo saw in the stone that lay before him, if you imagine this big block of stone, if you and I saw that, we looked at it, we would just see a big, you know, cube of stone. Michelangelo already saw in the stone that lay before him the pure image hidden within that was simply waiting to be uncovered. When Michelangelo looked at a block of stone, he saw a statue inside of it, and the only task that was there was to remove the parts that didn't belong. And Michelangelo talks about this as the artist's task is simply to see the statue inside this block and to remove the parts that don't belong. Brothers and sisters, God is an artist. And in your life, he wants to make you perfect, complete, Helios. But when he's doing that in your life, what he's going to do is he's going to remove the parts of that stone that don't belong there. And it's going to hurt. It's never easy. The creation of a perfect statue is a violent process to remove those pieces of the stone that really aren't what God's plan is for your life, that's something that hurts. But to suffer is to learn. Right? Jesus knew that. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and he was made perfect. If the Son of God had to suffer in his human nature, and this is dangerous territory because you can get into heresy here, Jesus in his divine nature is perfect from all of eternity. But there was something lacking in his life until he suffered. In his humanity, to be made a perfect high priest, as Hebrews 5 says today, he had to suffer. In your life, God doesn't will you to suffer. He doesn't will pain for anyone. But he does will your perfection. And when you go through hard times, you know me, I say it all the time. I am the worst person at suffering ever. Right? Everyone always comes to me like, Father Brian, I'm so bad at Lent. I'm like, stop it. I'm worse. Right? <clears throat> We're all bad at that. I do not suffer well, and I know it. When I stub my toe, right, I'm like, why God? Don't you love your priests, right? Why would you do this to me? I, I have that attitude. But afterwards, I tend to look back and I can see it later. When we go through hard times, when we go through difficulties, God is removing those pieces of stone that don't belong. Today and this week, be amazed at the perfect work of redemption on the cross. Be amazed at that.
is absolutely perfect. Greater than any statue or painting or piece of music that has ever been created, this is the absolute work of perfection. Jesus, may we see that, may we be amazed and renewed by it. And Lord, when you seek to make us perfect, Jesus, create a clean heart in me. Lord, when you remove those parts of me that don't belong, Jesus, may I simply know that you're doing it because you love me and because there are parts of me that don't belong to that statue.